Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. Today we're looking at chapters 10, 11 and 12 of Veronica Roth's Divergent. So in the last couple of chapters, she started the Dauntless initiation process, she got a tattoo, everybody was forced to beat each other up as part of their training and then they dangled Christina off of a railing above a wild river rapids ride that's just in the middle of the chasm, which is in the middle of the pit, which is where they live. A whole abandoned city and they decide to live in a pit? That I don't understand. But she's into the thick of it. And so we start this chapter and she's having a stress dream about Christina hanging off of the railing. And she's like, oh no, everybody's shouting out that only someone who is divergent can help her. When would that ever be the case? People don't even know what divergent is. Uh, I know it's just your insecurities coming out in a dream, but wouldn't that just be so unrealistic? You'd wake up thinking, that's not real. But she wakes up sweat soaked and shaky from the dream. So she goes to the shower. When she comes back, the word stiff is spray painted across her mattress in red. Now, usually when I get called stiff in bed, it's a good thing. But stiff is a derogatory word for abnegation. And it's written on the bed frame. It's written on her pillow. And she's pissed. She says she looks around, her heart pounding with anger. And Peter stands behind her, whistling as he fluffs his pillow. And she's like, oh, I can't believe I could hate someone who looks so kind. (laughs) So we're assuming Peter did it. There's no proof that Peter did this. Also, who's Peter? Is he one of the, one of the mean, the mean people that she hangs out with in Dauntless? I don't know. But she's dropping these names like we know who they are. But he makes a little comment being like, nice decorations. And so she's like, did I do something to you? And she says, I don't know if you've noticed, but we're in the same faction now which is a great point. It's what I've been saying for weeks. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And you and I will never be in the same faction. So he must be one of the mean erudite ones. And remember the erudite don't like abnegation because selflessness is bad. Anyway, she's like, don't get angry. Don't get angry. She's trying not to let him get a rise out of her. And I was like, well, you're in Dauntless now. They'd probably appreciate if you beat him up. Just beat him up. Slap him, punch him. You're in Dauntless, do whatever you want. And then Al, who she resents because he cries at night, he comes over and he starts helping strip the bed with her. And then she says, Al carries the stack of sheets to the trash can and together we walk toward the training room. So they're just throwing out the sheets. I don't know if they have washers and dryers in Dauntless, but they're just throwing out bed sheets. I know I've said before that this is a a resource scarce society. 
But maybe, maybe it's not. Maybe that's just something that I assumed and they've got heaps of sheets. They've got sheets coming out their wazoo and, and no one ever washes their sheets, they just chuck them out. Anyway, she talks to Al about how Al just beat up Will in training yesterday. And Will's just saying how he's really not looking forward to training today because they have to fight each other again for some reason. They're just redoing yesterday's lesson and everyone has to beat each other up again. She thinks because Al has a kind face that maybe he's too kind for Dauntless. I don't know if having a kind face necessitates being actually kind, but they get to the training room. She looks at the chalkboard and she's on it this time and she has to go and fight Peter. And so then Christina comes in and she says, oh no, when she sees the board and she crumples up the muffin wrapper that she's holding onto into her fist, which is an odd detail to include. And Peter's apparently really tall, so he's going to beat the shit out of her. And Al's like, maybe just take a couple of hits and pretend to go unconscious. Great plan. It's what I would do myself. And then she's sort of getting a bit annoyed that Al and Christina don't believe in her. She says that it bothers her that they don't think that she has a chance against Peter. And I wouldn't be taking it that personally, please, Tris. And then she's watching Molly and Edward fight and she's thinking about her upcoming fight with Peter. And I'm like, this is exactly what you wanted though. Like, didn't you just want to hit him when he wrote stiff all over your bed and you were like, oh, I better not. Now you're, you're actually allowed. You're encouraged even to hit him. So go for it. Have some fun with it. So as she's about to start the fight, she says her heart is pounding so hard she can feel it in her fingertips. That's, a, that's something else, isn't it? <laughs> I've never been able to feel my heartbeat in my fingertips. So then she meets Peter in the middle of the room. He's like, all right, Stiff, let's do this. If you cry, I might take it easy on you. And then she's looking around for and Eric and everyone else are watching them. And she's like, I'm not going to cry for you, you dickhead. So then she kicks him, but he catches her foot and he pushes her. <laughs> and then he must punch her in the jaw because her vision goes black at the edges. Her ears ring. She's lurching. She's feeling pain in her jaw. And then she's really off balance and he just continues to beat the shit out of her. He's kicking her, he's punching her. She says it hurts, she can't breathe. Well, actually she says, his foot forces the air from my lungs and it hurts. Hurts so badly I can't breathe. Or maybe that's because of the kick. I don't know, I just fall. She thinks that her her lungs hurt because of the air coming out of her lungs. And then she's like, oh, well, no, maybe it's because I just got kicked in the lungs. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably more likely. And then he punches her in the nose. She's seeing different colors. She's got a bloody nose. I think she's got blood in her eyes. The room is spinning and she can barely see. She says, I see a solid mass in front of me, a body. And she thinks it's Peter. So she tries to throw a punch and he's laughing because she's, she's barely connecting. And then she hears ringing and tries to blink some of the black patches out of her eyes. How did something get in my eye? She thinks. And then the next line is, out of my peripheral vision, I see four shove the door open and walk out. Apparently this fight isn't interesting enough for him. So she's just had a whole long paragraph telling us about how much she can't see. There's blood in her eyes. She can't see what's in front of her. There's black around the edges of her vision. Oh, but out of her periphery, she can see four with his arms crossed, walking out the door. (laughs) She's got beautiful peripheral vision. She can see anything out of the corner of her eye, but she can't see what's in front of her. Also like four, apparently this fight isn't interesting enough for him. He walked out yesterday when there was a fight going bad. He clearly doesn't like this. Why would he be walking out because he's bored? That doesn't make sense, you silly Billy. Anyway, she falls over. 
Peter keeps going to town on her. Eventually she passes out. And she says, when I wake up, I don't feel much, but the inside of my head is fuzzy, like it's packed with cotton balls. So she's in some sort of infirmary and Christina and Will and Al are there. And Christina's got an ice pack on her jaw because she got beat up as well. And she says to Christina, what happened to your face? And Christina says, look who's talking. Should we get you an eye patch? And she says, well, I already know what happened to my face. I was there, sort of. And then Will's like, oh my God, did you just make a joke, Tris? Oh my God, we should get you on painkillers more often if you're going to start cracking jokes. <laughs> I didn't hear a joke. I was there, sort of. Like, uh, I, uh, I guess, I guess that's a, a light bit of humor. I don't know if it's cracking jokes. So then Al says, you feeling okay, Tris? And then she narrates, his eyes are dark brown, almost the same color as Christina's skin. That was wildly unnecessary. Just like Stephanie Meyer talking about Jacob's skin, his russet skin, she's bringing up Christina's skin quite a lot. She's done it previously in the other chapters and I don't think I've mentioned it or pointed it out, but it's starting to really become quite often that she's bringing up Christina's skin. It's like, oh, his eyes are brown, just like Christina's skin. Like what? And Tris is like, yeah, I'm fine. I just wish I could stay here forever so I never have to see Peter again. And then she narrates, but I don't know where here is. Like it's, it's clearly a hospital, babe. She says, I'm in a large narrow room with a row of beds on either side. Okay. Some of the beds have curtains between them. <laughs> okay. On the right side of the room is a nurse's station. Oh, where could you possibly be? Where are you? Where could you be? There's a nurse in all these hospital beds. Where could you possibly be? And she finally realizes, oh, this must be where the Dauntless go when they're sick or hurt. (sighs) Who would have thunk? And she looks over at the nurse with so many piercings in her ear and she's thinking, oh, some Dauntless must volunteer to do jobs that traditionally belong to other factions. Remember, because I think Amity are the healers. But yeah, if the factions don't mix, of course Dauntless are gonna need their own healers. I don't understand. And then she says, after all, it wouldn't make sense for the Dauntless to make the trek to the city hospital every time they got hurt. Well, it doesn't really make sense to have them beating each other up, but here they are doing it. Then she tells us the first time I went to the hospital, I was six years old. My mother fell on the sidewalk in front of our house and broke her arm. Okay, nice bit of backstory. We already know that the sidewalks around their house aren't good because they don't fix them up because they're too selfless to have proper pavement. And then she says, at the hospital, an Amity woman in a yellow shirt with clean fingernails took my mother's blood pressure and set her bone with a smile. Yeah, I I would have hoped she had clean fingernails. What an odd thing to point out. Do everyone else have dirty fingernails? Of course a medical professional is going to have a clean hand. And then she says she remembers Caleb telling their mum that it would only take a month to mend because it was a hairline fracture. And she's like, oh, I thought he was reassuring her at the time because, you know, that's what selfless people do because, you know, abnegation. But now I'm kind of wondering if he was repeating something he had studied like an erudite. (laughs) Oh, all the clues were there. He was secretly erudite this whole time. So then Christina and Will run off to go and get dinner and Al hangs back for a little bit. And she's telling us that Al has a distinct smell, sweet and fresh, like sage and lemongrass. And she can sometimes smell him at night when he's tossing and turning, having his night terrors. 
and she said earlier that he's got stubble around his jawline. It's hard to believe he's only 16. Like, I think she's really amping up, like, I I don't know, like a love triangle between her and Al and Four. Like, we all know Four is endgame. Why is she telling us that this Al guy has a nice chin and he smells like lemongrass? I'm not, I'm not too sure about that, especially because she's tore him to shreds in her inner monologue while he's been having nightmares and she's like, ugh, weak. So I'm really not buying that he'd ever be built up as a romantic possibility, but uh, who knows? And he tells her, we're going on a field trip tomorrow to learn about dauntless jobs. We have to be at the train by 8.15. And then he says, oh, don't worry about what Christina said. Your face looks good. I mean, it always looks good. Yeah, they're flirting. Oh, wait, no, maybe I'm wrong. Because then Al's looking at her and she's like, "Ugh, seems like he's meaning something behind those words. Hope I'm wrong. I could not be attracted to Al. <laughs> I could not be attracted to anyone that fragile. So she's not attracted to him, but she's telling us how he smells and about his jawline. So I'm getting mixed messages from you, Tris. And then she asks him if he's fine and he just says, yeah, he lost his fight. If he has to fight again, he just will lose. And he's saying that if he loses the rest of the fights, that's okay. He just doesn't want to hurt anybody. So I bet he's really regretting his choice to pick Dauntless. And then they talk about visiting day, which is coming up, you know, when the families visit. She says in less than a week, The abnegation initiates will be able to visit their families for the first time since the choosing ceremony. They will go home and sit in their living rooms and interact with their parents for the first time as adults. (sighs) Imagine that being the highlight of visiting day, going back to your own living room and having a chat. So I guess the abnegation initiates all go to like a, a dorm as well and don't stay in their own homes. That just seems odd to me as well. And she says, in less than a week, the Dauntless born initiates will find their families on the pit floor and do whatever it is the Dauntless do when they reunite. Reunite? They're all still there. Are they not running into each other in the halls? Maybe not everyone lives in the pit. I don't know. But I would have thought if you stay with the faction that you were born with, visiting day is pretty moot because you're still in the same faction. Then she's thinking about whether or not her family will visit her and she doesn't think so. And then she thinks about being divergent and how it's so dangerous. And then she clenches her teeth as the tears come and she tells us, maybe I drift off to sleep and maybe I don't. (laughs) Why why is she playing coy with us? Maybe I sleep, maybe I don't. You can just tell us. We don't care really if you go to sleep or not. But she says later that night, I slip out of the room, go back to the dorm because she doesn't want Peter to have put her in hospital overnight. And that's the end of that chapter. And so we start chapter 11 with Christina waking her up. She's like, come on, we've only got 15 minutes to go and catch the train. She also had another bad dream about Peter tying her to a chair and asking her if she was divergent. So for someone who's really judgmental of Al having nightmares, she's having quite a fair few as well. So she is a mess this morning. Her body's very, very sore. She's bruised. She's battered. And so Christina's like, hurry up and get dressed. I'll run and go grab her some breakfast. And then Christina comes back with a muffin in each hand and gives Tris a muffin. And then they just start eating muffins. Why? Why is this the main breakfast food of Dauntless? That's two days in a row that Christina's been munching on a muffin for breakfast. Like, I love a muffin. You can't beat a muffin, but. Uh, every day for breakfast? 
when you guys are like spending the day beating each other up, you'd think you'd want something with a bit more nutritional value, maybe? Oh, and because it hurts her to bend over, she can't tie up her shoes, so Christina does it for her. And she thinks, oh, maybe there is some abnegation in everyone, even if they don't know it. Yes, exactly. That's exactly my point, Tris. So they get to the platform just as the train's arriving and not stopping, and they have to jump onto it, obviously. And Will's like, what took you guys so long? And Christina's like, oh, stumpy legs over here turned into an old lady overnight. And she's, she's struggling to get onto the train. And she grabs onto the handle and Al sort of gives her a boost into the train. But Peter, mean, nasty Peter, sees this and she gets embarrassed. She's like, oh, Al was only trying to be nice, but I wish people didn't want to be so nice. What? She was just talking about how there's some abnegation in everybody. But, but now, she's, now she's resentful of people being nice. And Peter's looking at her with a face of mock sympathy and he's like, feeling okay? Or are you a little stiff? (laughs) Hilarious. I think that's a great little joke. And Molly and Drew, they're both laugh and they're yucking it up because it's so funny. And then Christina claps back calling Peter a sissy or something like that. And Four's like, guys, 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 am I going to have to listen to you bickering all the way to the fence? And she's just looking at Four, thinking he's a sexy piece of man meat. She doesn't say that exactly. Because I don't know if she can recognize that that's what she's experiencing, but she says she's looking at the wind blowing his shirt up against his chest. And she's like, oh, trying not to look at him. So she looks out the window at the crumbling city. But every few seconds, she's checking back in on four and just giving him an old up and down look. And then she says to Christina, hey, what do you think's beyond the fence? And Christina's like, I don't know, bunch of farms or something. And she's like, yeah, but past the farms, what are we guarding the city from? And it's like, oh, there's your little hint that you're divergent. You're asking too many questions. Also, their farms are outside of the fence. I don't understand that. Like, you've got Dauntless protecting the fence, but you're just letting Emity out each day to go and do some farming and then come back with some produce. Why can't you just have farms inside of the fence? All those abandoned crumbling buildings, knock them down and, and put in a field and start planting some shit. Just seems a bit risky to send Amity out to the farms where all the bad people or the bad monsters or whatever the fuck they're protecting them from are. And then Will says, we didn't even have guards near the fence until five years ago, which is an interesting little tidbit. What's changed? I'm not sure. And Will says, don't you remember when Dauntless police used to patrol the factionless sector? So apparently that was their jobs. They used to just police the factionless. The poor, poor factionless. And Triss is like, oh, yeah, I remember that. And she's like, oh, my father was actually one of the people who voted to get the Dauntless out of the factionless sector of the city. He said the poor didn't need policing, they needed help. And then Will says to Triss, oh, yeah, you probably saw the factionless a lot. And she's like, why do you say that? And he's like, oh, because you had to walk past them to get to school, right? And Christina's like, what, did you memorize a map of the city? And Will's like, yeah. And they're acting like that's a completely random thing for Will to do, but like, would it be that hard to remember where like five factions live? They're not all scattered out. They all live in little clumps. How hard is it to memorize five clumps? And why is the factionless sector just like one specific spot? If I was factionless, I'd be like, okay, I'll just go wherever I want then. Who's going to stop me? I'm not in a faction. Oh, and then get this, get this guys. 
the train's brakes squeal and the car slows and then eventually the train stops under an awning. The train stops. I was led to believe they couldn't do that. The train just stops all of a sudden? So it has the capability to stop. Why doesn't it stop when they're at the platform? Is it just because they're in a rush? Where's the rush? So they're at the fence. There's this big chain link fence with barbed wire. There's dauntless guards with guns patrolling the fence. And then Ford's telling us that if you don't rank in the top five at the end of initiation, you probably end up here as a fence guard. And he says, once you're a fence guard, there is some potential for advancement, but not much. And then Will cuts in being like, hey, what are the patrols for? And Four's just like, I guess you'll figure that out if you become a dauntless guard at the fence. So we don't even get an answer on that one. And they're making it like that's such a terrible job. And then Christina says, well, at least we won't be driving buses or cleaning up other people's messes like the factionless. Oh my goodness. If I were a bus driver or a cleaner, reading this book, I swear I would write some hate mail to Veronica and being like, get your head out of your ass. And then Peter says, what rank were you to four? And he's like, oh, I was first. And Peter's like, and you chose to do this? Meaning train them. And then he says, why didn't you get a government job? And four says, I didn't want one. What, a government job? I thought only abnegation could be in the government. Unless there's a separate government for just the dauntless. And then Tris tells us that she learned about faction jobs in school. The Dauntless have limited options. We can guard the fence or work for the security of our city. We can work in the compound, drawing tattoos or making weapons. (laughs) So drawing tattoos is actually one of their jobs. Or we can work for the Dauntless leaders. And she thinks that's her best option. So yeah, there, there must be a little separate Dauntless government that's not the government. And I don't know why they needed a field trip to discuss all of this stuff. They've just gone to the gate. I don't even think they're talking to any of the guards at the gate. Four's just said a couple of words and that's that's about all they do at the gate. What a boring little field trip. But we do see an Amity farming truck come through the gate and she recognizes someone. Well, this guy, he calls out Beatrice. And then she jerks around and it's Robert, who used to be her neighbor, I think. Anyway, well, apparently he picked Amity. So everyone from Abnegation was like, fuck that. (laughs) I don't know if anyone stayed in Abnegation. It doesn't sound like it. And so then he comes over and he hugs her. And she says, only in Amity do people hug each other in greeting. I don't move a muscle until he releases me. So even though it's only been like, what, five days? He's already accustomed to the Amity way of greeting people. So good for Robert. Why, why do the other factions ban hugs? And then he's calling a Beatrice and he's like, oh, Beatrice, are you okay? Because obviously she's bruised and battered. And then Molly goes, Beatrice, is that your real name? Stiff. And she's like, yeah, well, what did you think Triss was short for? And she goes, oh, I don't know. Weakling. Um, how's that funny? What do you think Triss was short for? I don't know. Weakling. <laughs> it doesn't even make sense, Molly. You're a bully and your jokes don't make sense. And Robert doesn't know Molly from a bar of soap, but he's like butting in and he's like, hey, there's no need to antagonize her. I'm Robert and you are. So he's still got to be nice about it because he's in Amity. Anyway, Triss tells her to rack off. And then Robert's like, whoa, these people aren't very nice. And she's like, yeah. 
And then he says something to her about like, maybe you should just leave Dauntless and go and be happy. And she's like, the goal of my life isn't to just be happy. And he's like, maybe it should be. And then he smugly walks back off to the truck and he hops into the truck and there's a girl in the back of the truck with a banjo on her lap. And then the truck starts driving off and she starts playing the banjo, which just sounds horrific. I don't think I'd like to be an Amity either. A banjo? No, thank you. And then the Dauntless guards close the gate and lock it behind them. And she's like, oh, the lock is on the outside. Why would they lock the gate from the outside and not the inside? It almost seems like they don't want to keep something out. They want to keep us in, which is very heavy handed foreshadowing. And then she's like, oh, I just pushed the thought out of my head. It makes no sense. (laughs) Okay, never to be thought of again until it comes up. Anyway, then four comes up to where they banter a little bit. He gives her some pointers on her next fight, how she should attack first, and then she might not lose. And it's like, okay, brilliant strategy. Just try and get a punch in first. Wow, never would have thought of that. And then she brings up that he left halfway through her fight. And he's like, yeah, it wasn't something I wanted to watch. And she's like, what's that supposed to mean? So yeah, she's an idiot. And then he says, looks like the train is here. Time to go, Tris. What? So the, the train that parked left? And now they're waiting for another train? No, surely not. They didn't even do anything on this field trip. They just stood at the gate and had a chat for five minutes and the train left, even though it stopped. And now there's another train. I think, I think that's a mistake. I think an editor should have picked that up because what, what? Anyway, that's the end of that chapter. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Now we're going on to chapter 12. It's a long one. She said it's now two days since her fight with Peter. 
and her bruises are turning purple blue. And I'm like, why are you saying two days since your fight with Peter? It's just, it's the day after the field trip. It's just the next day. But she's like, oh, it's now been two days. And it's like, what? What timeline are you on? But apparently since so much time has passed, she can now move a bit better. She still aches as she moves, but she's got more control over her body again. And she has to fight again today, but she's paired against Myra, who couldn't throw a good punch if someone was controlling her arm for her. And she got a good hit in during the first two minutes. So she took Four's advice and got a hit in early and she won. So then she goes to bed, but as soon as her head hits the pillow, people stream into the room with flashlights and they're like, everybody get up, everybody get up. And she's like, what, what am I doing? And then Eric says, did you go deaf stiff? Get out of bed. And so apparently they have five minutes to get dressed and go and meet them by the tracks because they're going on another field trip. Oh, this book's so repetitive. And they don't even have time to go and grab a breakfast muffin. Well, no, it's the middle of the night, so I guess they wouldn't need a breakfast muffin. So they go to the tracks and there's all these guns. But then she looks at a box of ammunition and it says paintballs on it. And she goes, oh, I've never heard of them before, but the name is self-explanatory. I laugh. Oh God, hilarious. She's got a great sense of humor. Oh, paint balls, balls of paint. That makes sense. So they're going for a paintball fight and they're on the platform waiting for the train. The trains that just run all through the middle of the night. Oh God, these fucking trains, I swear. So Four jumps onto the train, then she jumps and he sort of helps her get up after she falls onto the train floor. And she thinks, oh, even the muscles in his forearm are taut, defined. Yeah, you're turned on by him. Oh, I can't wait for her to realize that she's turned on by him. So once they're all in, Four gives them the skinny. They're dividing into two teams to play capture the flag. And each team will have an even mix of members, both Dauntless Born and Transfers. And apparently it's a dauntless tradition. And Four and Eric are going to be the team captains. And so they start picking teams. And Eric picks Edward first. Don't know who Edward is, but I'm sure he'll come up again. And then Four says, I want the stiff. And then then everyone in the car laughs (laughs) and she feels embarrassed. And she's like, I don't know if I should be angry at the people laughing at me or flattered by the fact that he chose me first. No, you should be angry that he called you a stiff. It's just totally inconsistent that he would even call her a stiff. Because didn't he admonish someone in chapter four for being like, hey, don't call her a stiff. She's dauntless now. Also, he used to be a stiff. Just two years ago, he was in abnegation. So why is he calling her the stiff? I don't know if he's trying to make a point. And Eric's like, why the hell are you picking the weak ones first? And Four's like, don't you mind? But then he picks Christina next and she's thinking, oh, Christina's not one of the weak ones. What is his strategy? What's his gameplay? And she's looking at everyone that he's picked thinking, what do we have in common? And then she's like, oh, we're all slender. We all have narrow shoulders and small frames. She's like, that must be what he's going for. We will all be faster than the other team, which will probably be good for Capture the Flag, a game I've never played before, but I sort of know it's a game of speed rather than brute force. Okay, this Veronica Roth loves to spell something out for us. And she says, oh, Eric is more ruthless than Four, but Four is smarter. Yeah, sure. Thank you for hammering the point home. And so Four's team jump off the train first and Eric's team are going to jump off later. And Eric says, take your scrawny team and get off first. So Eric is aware that Four picked a scrawny team. His strategy wasn't so super secret after all. 
So she's getting ready to jump off the train and then someone shoves her. <laughs> someone like full tries to push her out of a moving train, which could be conceived as attempted murder, but she doesn't even look around to see who it is. She's like, oh, screw them. So she jumps off. <laughs> I'd be more worried about who just tried to kill you, but she just jumps off and she does a good landing. And then one of the other Dauntless Born initiates on the team says, that they should go and hide their flag at the carousel at the pier because that's where Four's team, when they did it a few years ago, won. Okay, sure. So they just copy that idea and go to the carousel. And she says, we walk across the bridge. We still need bridges because the mud beneath them is too wet to walk on. So even though there's no lake, they still need bridges. Can they not just make all of that the farmland? I don't know, I'm not an agriculturally minded person. I don't know about irrigation and all of that stuff. But I think there's plenty of spaces for them to have farmland inside of the city. And once they cross the bridge, the city changes. It's a sea of crumbling concrete and broken glass. Then they get to a Ferris wheel and Will's like, oh my God, look at that thing. People used to ride that for fun. And Triss is like, wow, they must have been dauntless. Now... I've been on Ferris wheels before and I kind of think they're the most tame of rides that you can get at like a theme park. I wouldn't consider myself to be quite a dauntless person, but I've ridden plenty of Ferris wheels. So maybe I am. So then they set up camp at the carousel and Fawz like, maybe you guys should start coming up with a strategy. The other team are going to find their location in 10 minutes and we need to find them, defend our flag, blah, blah, blah. And so while they're all squabbling over what's the best strategy, offense, defense, whatever, she just walks off and thinks I need to climb as high as possible and get a good vantage point to see where their hiding place is, which makes sense. I don't know why she's the only person thinking like that. What's everyone else going to do? Just like wander around the city until they see the other team? I don't know. Capture the flag is dumb. And she just decides to walk up the Ferris wheel though. And that's where I think she's being a bit silly. And she's looking at how high it is. And then she says, the only good thing about its height is that it is built to support weight. If I climb it, it won't collapse beneath me. I don't know if that's sound logic. Uh, It's particularly because, what's it been like a hundred years, maybe at least 50 years since the city's been abandoned, like at least 50 years of no maintenance. The lake has been drained. She's just telling us that all these buildings are crumbling and filled with broken glass. And she thinks, hey, this, this Ferris wheel that's been here for God knows how long, it looks structurally sound. And because it's tall, it can bear weight and it won't collapse. What? But she decides to be a dauntless person and it's pitch black. So she just starts climbing up the Ferris wheel ladder. And she even says, I grab a rung, it's rusty and thin and feels like it might crumble in my hands. (laughs) I would not trust it, babe. And then Four's behind her and he's like, Triss, what you doing? And she's like, oh, I'm I'm seeking higher ground. And he's like, cool, I'll come with you. So they just start climbing the ladder up the Ferris wheel. And he's asking her questions being like, what do you think the purpose of this activity is? And she's like, maybe teamwork. And he's like, huh, teamwork. Doesn't seem to be a dauntless priority. He's like, it's supposed to be a priority. It used to be. And she's not really listening because she's like, "Uh, I'm climbing up a Ferris wheel. I'm getting a bit intimidated by the heights. I don't want to chat right now. But then she realizes 
that her legs are shaking, not from being scared of the height. She says, the height actually makes me feel alive with energy. It's him. It's something about him that makes me feel like I'm about to fall or turn to liquid or burst into flames. No, I think it might be the height. The adrenaline of it might be a factor here as to why you have shaking legs. That's just my hunch. Anyway, then she notices that he's breathing loud and fast. And she's like, oh, are you all right? And he's like, are you human? Being up this high, it doesn't scare you at all. So he's scared. And then a gust of wind sort of knocks her off balance and he grabs her and steadies her. I don't know with what free hand, because I thought he was climbing up the ladder as well, but he's got this free hand to grab her. And then because he's grabbed her, she can't breathe. And because she's thinking about his fingers long and narrow, I swear every book I've read for this stupid podcast, the attractive men are described as having long fingers. It's really given me a complex about my own hands. I'm starting to think maybe my fingers are stumpy. Is that what people want in a partner? Just long fingers? I don't know. So they get to a platform and she's like, oh, you're afraid of heights. How do you survive in the dauntless compound? Yeah, because they live in a pit. They, they live in little hidey holes built into a pit around a chasm. And he's like, oh, I just ignore my fear. When I make decisions, I pretend it doesn't exist. I don't know if that's, <laughs> that's an actual strategy people can employ. I'm surprised he didn't get some sort of tattoo to make him not afraid. That seems to be the dauntless way. And then she's like, oh, I better focus. I climbed up here for a reason. And then she says, oh, the city is pitch black. But even if it wasn't, I wouldn't be able to see very far. A building stands in my way. So she just got up all this way and she's just staring at a building. Would you not have thought when you looked at the Ferris wheel and you thought, oh, maybe I could climb it. Wouldn't you have been like, oh, wait, there's a building in the way. Oh, but she decides she's not high enough. And I guess there's more scaffolding to climb. So she keeps climbing and Four's like, oh, for God's sake, stiff. Stop calling us stiff. And she's like, you don't have to follow me. And he's like, well, yeah, I kind of do. I'm your instructor. He didn't seem to care about that girl that face planted when she jumped off the train on initiation day. But sure, yeah, care about this person's life. And she even brings it up. She says, I imagine my body plummeting, smacking into the bars as it falls down and my limbs at broken angles on the pavement, just like Rita's sister when she didn't make it onto the roof. That's twice now that she's called that dead person Rita's sister. You'd think if she'd learned Rita's name, considering we've never met Rita as a character, If she'd learned Rita's name, maybe she could learn the name of the dead girl, but nah. So she gets to the top. It's all very dramatic. And then she's looking around and she sees a tiny light on the ground. It's coming from the park at the end of the pier. And she's like, oh, that's where they are. And she's like, all right, well, start climbing down four. I'll follow you. And then she steps down and she presses her weight into one of the crossbars. The bar creaks and comes loose. And she's dangling from the scaffolding with her toes swinging in midair. <laughs> and she's like, oh shit, four, four, help me. <laughs> like, you yeah, no shit. This is an ancient Ferris wheel in the midst of a crumbling city that suffered who knows what environmental degradation. I'll remind you, the lake's been drained. What else has happened? I assume climate change has ravaged the world. And yet this Ferris wheel has survived. <sighs> And her hands are getting sweaty and she's holding on for dear life. And he's like, oh, hold on, hold on. I have an idea. And he starts climbing down. And she's like, what the hell's he doing climbing down? He's moving in the wrong direction. He should be climbing towards me, not away from me. And she's like, what the hell? She's like Bridget Jones when she doesn't know whether to go up or down the fire pole. (laughs) 
up the fucking pole, up the fucking pole. <laughs> Remember that scene with Bridget Jones? <laughs> she wants to come down the pole and then she's got to climb up the pole and then the camera starts and they're like, what are you doing? Go down the fucking pole. <laughs> yeah, go, 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 go. Go? Oh no, we're going to fly faster than Newcastle first. Stop! Climb back up, climb back up. On you in 30 seconds. Okay. Never. what the fuck is going on? She's supposed to be sliding down the pole, not climbing up it. Go, 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 go! Okay. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay, we're out of time, we're out of time. Just wind her up. Well, that seems to be about all we've got time for down here in Lewisham. Uh, Chief Officer Bevan, thank you very much. Excellent fire station. Uh, and now, back to the studio. Anyway, she's like full expecting that she's gonna die very soon. She's like, oh, well, better shut my eyes, better not look. And then she hears something wheeze and creak. And she's like, oh my God, the wheel is moving. And she opens her eyes and she's moving towards the ground. And she's laughing, she's giddy with hysteria as the ground comes closer and closer. So she gets close to the ground, she jumps off and Four's there and he's like, oh, you okay? They're holding hands and she's like, oh, wow, the warmth of his skin overwhelms the ache in my fingers. Okay, sure. And he's like, are you all right? And she's like, yeah. And then they're both laughing because apparently he found a way to start the Ferris wheel. And she says, you could have told me that the Ferris wheel still worked then we wouldn't have had to climb up in the first place. And he says, oh, I would have if I'd known. I couldn't just let you hang there, so I took a risk. What? He took this gamble that this, what, 100-year-old Ferris wheel, I don't know how old this Ferris wheel is, but he took a gamble that the, that the on button would still work. What's this running on, electricity? What's it hooked up to? He took a gamble. He was a few steps behind her on the scaffolding, and instead of climbing up like Bridget Jones on the pole, he decided, oh, I'll just run down and and hope that the Ferris wheel is still connected to some sort of power source. And he didn't think that maybe like, oh, the Ferris wheel jolting wouldn't have knocked her off anyway. What, what plan was that for? Anyway, so she goes back to the carousel and she meets up with Christina and the rest of her team. And there's an older Dauntless as well, <laughs> just sitting on one of the horses of the carousel. An older Dauntless, I thought they were all 16. And then this older girl, she describes her, says, why'd you guys turn on the wheel? What were you thinking? You may as well have just shouted, we're here, come and get us. And she says, if I lose again this year, the shame will be unbearable. Three years in a row? What? How is she doing this three years in a row? I thought it was just for the initiates who were 16 each year. As a little hazing ceremony, but she's been doing it every, every year. So... How did she hoodwink him into doing it every three? What? What? Is she just an older dauntless person doing this for fun? I don't think so. Cause they've described everyone as being initiates. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe she got held back a few years at primary school or something. And four's like, ah, oh, doesn't matter. We know where they are. And he's like, who's got a plan. And then Triss is like, oh, okay. How about we split in half? Four of us go to the right side of the pier, three to the left. The group of four will charge them while the group of three sneak up behind them and get the flag. Easy as that. So then she says, she's going to be in the group of three with Christina and this guy called Uriah. And she says, Uriah has a smile that looks white against his skin's bronze. Mm, okay. 
I didn't notice before, but he has a tattoo of a snake behind his ear. I stare at its tail curling around his earlobe for a moment. Odd thing to point out. I don't know if that's going anywhere, but he's got a tattoo of a snake behind his ear. Okay, congrats Uriah, character I've just met and don't care about. So then they're running and she realizes, oh no, only one of us will get to touch the flag and it won't matter that it was my plan and my information that got us to it if I'm not the one who grabs it. What? Why not? It's a team thing. Why does it matter who grabs the flag? I don't think the ranking system is based on who touches the flag. It's not a port key. Why does it matter if you don't touch the flag? I think she thinks it's a port key. So they get to the end of the pier and the distraction is working with the other group of four and they can see the flag hanging from a tree branch and her and Christina are both reaching for the flag and Christina says, oh, come on, Tris. You're already the hero of the day and you know you can't reach it anyway. And she gives her a patronizing look. And she's like, oh, why do people always look at me like that? So then Christina snatches the flag and turns and gives a whoop of victory. And she's like annoyed at Christina. Christina, the girl who tied her shoes yesterday, she's annoyed at her because she touched the flag. Why does it matter? And everyone's cheering for Christina because she's got the flag. But four comes up behind her and he puts his hand on her shoulder and he says, well done. So like, isn't that more important than your instructor knows? Does it really matter if she's got the flag? Oh, I don't care. So then we cut to, they're back on the train going back to the headquarters, AKA the pit. And Will's like, oh my God, I can't believe I missed it. And I was stuck on the other side. And then he's like, oh, can I see the flag again? Why do you need to see the flag? Like who cares? What the- it's a flag. And then Peter, Molly and Drew, they're sitting across from the members in their corner. Odd sentence, Peter, Molly and Drew sit across from the members in the corner. Uh, the members, who are the members? I don't know, but their chests and backs are splattered with blue and pink paint. I kind of forgot it was a paintball exercise. We sort of skipped over that. I assume while the group of four were ambushing them, they were all shooting each other with paint, but we sort of missed that completely. And then this Uriah guy with the snake tattoo, he's asking her questions about the Ferris wheel. Like, weren't you there, Uriah? She came back and said, oh, I climbed the Ferris wheel. Like what? And then this chick called Marlene, she's like, that's pretty smart. Erudite smart. Ooh, maybe she's figured out that Triss is divergent. Probably not though. And she's like, I'm Triss. And she's like, yeah, I know who you are. You were the first jumper. And she narrates, it has been years since I jumped off a building in my abnegation uniform. It has been decades. No, it hasn't Triss. It's been about six or seven days. And then Uriah takes one of the paintballs from his gun and starts squeezing it. But then the train lurches to the left and Uriah falls against her, spilling some pink paint on her face. And then everyone's giggling and laughing. And apparently the paint smells gross like fish oil. What am I reading here? Like, what is going on? I guess they're having a paint fight? A good old fashioned paint fight in a moving train. Because then Uriah's trying to squeeze more paint in the face, but it backfires and shoots into his mouth and everyone's laughing. And then she's thinking, if my entire life is like this, loud laughter and bold action, and the kind of exhaustion you feel after a hard but satisfying day, I will be content. And she realizes that all she has to do is get through initiation and that life will be hers. And that's the end of the chapter. Wow, she really ended the chapter in a lot of words. I still don't think it's that funny that he got paint in his mouth. (sighs) Okay, well, I'm going to call it. I hope you guys enjoyed. 
If you haven't yet left a review or a rating on your preferred podcasting platform, I'd love it if you could drop a review. That's always nice. Did you notice as well, I dropped in the first episode of the Patreon coverage of Fifty Shades Darker. Have a listen to that to get a taste of what the Fifty Shades Darker coverage is like over on the Patreon. If you're interested, just go to patreon.com slash breaking down bad books to sign up. And I think I'm going to leave it there. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading.